Galatians 6 verse 9 says this, and let us not grow weary while doing good. Notice that phrase, let us not grow weary while doing good. We said this before, if there is a warning to the church and to individuals about not growing weary, then that means at some point in your life when you determine you're going to do good and you're going to go for it with God, there will come a time where there will be some pressures that will push on you and drive and not even seen. They may be people, they may be thoughts that nobody else knows about that try to weaken you to grow weary, to quit, to give up, to move away from following the Lord. And so he said here, let us not grow weary while doing good. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, let us not grow weary. Because you know what? In one sense, you should grow weary while doing bad. You should get real tired of it. Why? Because you'll reap from that too, like you will from good. That's why he said in the verses before, do not be deceived. Verse 7, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap, good or bad. And he said, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So he said, there's two paths you can follow in your life. And he said, don't grow weary while you're doing the one. The other, get weary of. You don't want to harvest there. But we're not going to talk about that because I don't believe that's what God's talking to us about. Now, he may be talking to you about it, but we're not going to talk to you about it. You'll just need to talk to him about it. Anyway, it says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season. So that's in a certain time period. So there's some kind of stretch of time of doing good that later on and in that time, there's going to be pressure to back up, back away, quit doing it and go a different way, he said, you will reap if you do not lose heart. And so what I had been teaching on was the other side of this verse. What do we do after the pressure is gone of staying with it and the sowing waiting for the reaping. And we've been talking about the receiving side and the walking in. And that's super important because a lot of times we hear this side, but we went through and talked about the mentality you need to have when you start reaping. Because we said this, when, when you start reaping what you've been planting and it's good stuff that you reap, you're going to be challenged. You say, in what way will I be challenged? All you have to do is say this to somebody. Hey, check your lottery ticket. And they're like, oh, here's the numbers. And they go, you just won $300 million. You will know what you will be challenged by right then. Because something that may have been pushed down will come up. Meaning this, oh, I'm going to go tell my boss, blah, 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 blah. And I'm telling you this. Why? Because now what was holding something back in you, it was there the whole time. That external pressure is gone and it comes out. And so we went through different examples in the Bible where when Saul was small in his own sight, he did everything that was right. But then when he got promoted to a position, there was no external constraints anymore. 
and he just started letting some bad stuff out. And God said, when you had this opinion and you walk like this, but now that you're prosperous, we saw other people. When all of a sudden they started prospering, the Lord said, when you do and when you start getting all this in your life, don't forget me. He said, once you got fat and you got full, because if you forget me, you're going to say, it was actually my labor that did it. And then you'll forget. One, Saul just started curving his spiritual life. He didn't keep following the rules he did. He decided, I'll give this to God. I'll do this for God. And I'll offer this. And the Lord said, no, I told you no. But once he got to that place. And we went through what prosperity can do. And so God warned them. Why? So we could read. You know, these things the Bible said were written to fill pages. No, for our example. Uh, that we wouldn't enter into the same problems and ways they did. And so if there is, and there has to be a latter side to this verse of beginning to reap the good that we've sown, then we need to be careful as we come into it to uh, keep the right attitude. Amen? And some people don't realize that they are more external driven than they are internal driven. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I got a lot of problems right now, so I got to pray, 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 pray. I got to search out the scriptures and get an answer. They don't pray out of a relationship only and because they just search the scriptures. They're doing it because, man, my back is against the wall and I got to figure this thing out. But when they get done figuring it out, they were being driven by external more than internal because I just love the Word of God and I love God and I get to know Him. and Sure, He'll solve my problems and help me through things. But we need to recognize we should be driven by an appetite for Him, something internal. And when circumstances change, I think that's what's happened to our country in a degree. We prospered and prospered and maybe people were pushing to get and pushing to do what they needed to do and the external changed and then all of a sudden people just started going off the rails with God. You with me? And God doesn't want that. So he warns us. Now turn with me to Revelation the 13th chapter and we're going to kind of pick up here and move on for a little bit about this whole backside of receiving. I know the Lord has spoken to me about us as a church and us as individuals. And you have to know in your own spirit. And God will deal with people. But I know this, God will speak to us through his word where we're at as a church. Where we're at as people. And uh, the book of Revelation, you know, people are fascinated with all this stuff. You know, oh, the book of Revelation, you know, what's going on? Where are we at? And but I'm not going into those parts, but I'm going into the letters to the churches. People make all kinds of comments about these things, but the fact of the matter is these letters in the first couple of chapters, you know, two and three, were actually letters to churches. And where it says to the angel of the church, that word angel is angelos. It just means messenger. It literally was a message to the pastor to share with each church. And it was how God viewed and what God was saying to them. What's fascinating, uh, what he did share with different churches. And uh, there was one church, God had nothing good to say about them. Not one thing. 
Then one other church, he said, hey, guys, you know, this is great. I just want to let you know, just hold on for 10 days. You guys are all going to get martyred. I'm so grateful that's not what I'm sensing in my spirit right now. You guys, 10 more days. We're going to be here next Sunday and about Wednesday. We're dead, but we're all going to be in heaven, you know. Nobody said amen, you know. It's like, huh. Well, Beat's saying we're all going to be in hell. We're going to be in heaven. But that literally was a message to one of them. Could you imagine if that was the message I got this week? Hey, guys. Somebody's like, see, honey, I told you we should have gone to that other church this morning. <laughs> Who knows what they heard, you know. But, uh, and I tell you, he said it's going to be a quick, sudden death. There, they're like, we're going to get burned at the stake. You're like, oh, maybe we should have gone to the other one. No. But what I'm saying is the Lord knows each church. He didn't speak the same thing to every church. But I believe he's saying something to us about the backside of sowing and staying with it and being faithful for these years and people doing things that we're in a time where people are going to, us as a church and as individuals, start reaping some things. Notice this. I'm going to read a couple verses here in Revelation 3, 8. It says, I know your works. Now, what were you supposed to do? Not grow weary while doing good. Those are good works. He said, I know your works. Uh, See, I have set before you an open door. An open door is a passage into a new place. And he said, and no one can shut it. In other words, you can't now at this point after you've done these works, jack this up and mess it up. The door is open. Nobody can shut it. You know, have you ever run to a door and went, oh, cool, they opened the door. You ever had somebody open the door for you, and it's one of those self-latching ones, and they're like, here, and they let go of it and walk away, thinking you get there, and you get there, and click, it closes, and you're like, oh, great. That's not this door. He said, I'm opening a door that no man can shut, for you have a little strength. In other words, remember, don't grow weary while doing good. They were starting to get weak, but they're still doing it. But they didn't quit. Notice it goes on to say, for you have a little strength, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. So isn't it interesting that the Lord knew, and he even warned another church, if you'll just stay with it, something will change and you'll begin to reap these actions you've sown. Because God looks at people to see what they'll do in the good times and the bad times. He does. He examines. You go read the Old Testament, he tries your heart. Not just with good, but no matter what happens, it's all planting. And you start enduring some stuff, and I'll tell you what, you're putting seeds down in the ground. And notice verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. These are people who are not serving God, who are not living for God, who are on the outside who they've had to deal with there, notice what he said, who say they are Jews and are not, but they lie. In other words, these people are saying we're religious, we're saying we're this, but God's saying, these guys, I call them the synagogue of Satan. And they're all out there and you know them. And he said, look what he said I'm going to do. I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. He said, I'm going to bring in a bunch of people. And they're going to start serving God, and they're going to fall down and serve before you, and this is all going to change. And notice, he said, I'm going to do this 
But what happened first, they did Galatians 6. You with me? I said, they did Galatians 6. It says, because, notice, because, what is that? Why did he start off saying because? He said, I'm going to do this because. Because you have kept my command to persevere. Don't grow weary while doing good for in due season you will reap. He said, you've kept my, com-. you know, it's a commandment. You know, a lot of people are like, don't have any idols. That's bad. That's a commandment. Okay, no idols for me. You know, no other gods, no other this. But, you know, another command of the Lord is thou shalt persevere. It's not one of the ten, but it is one of his commands. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what the will of the Lord is for me. The first thing is persevere. Determine I'm going to keep going no matter what. And because there's a payday with it. He said, I, you've kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. See, they've already been tested in their time. Now the Lord said, you won't be going through what everybody else is going through. I've already proved you. They're going to be tested in a way, and all of a sudden you're going to have an explosion of people coming in and worshiping and serving. Isn't that interesting that the Lord warned them about what was just about to happen? And it really is based on those same kinds of principles. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. God tells us that he'll warn us before he does things. People can have a sense. I believe this is happening. You know, haven't you ever in a small way gone, I shouldn't go this way on this road. I shouldn't be around that thing. I shouldn't be around this, or I should be around this, or I should do this. And then later on, either you did it or didn't do it, and you watched and went, man, there was real wisdom from God in that. And hopefully we learn, so next time we do or don't do what we should do. Because there's always a harvest if you continue in something. And that's why we don't want to grow weary while doing good. We want to stay with that. But here's the thing that I have found. You can't make a harvest happen yourself. You cannot make a harvest happen for yourself. And uh, I wish you could. But even a farmer can't. He can do everything that is appropriate for a harvest, but he can't make it happen. Notice 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7. He said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the increase. Notice that. Who gives the increase? So then neither he who plants is anything. That's nice to know. Nor he who waters but God who gives the increase. Here's an interesting thought. He told us, don't grow weary while doing good. That's like planting seeds. You know, you personally don't have to be dependent on somebody else to plant. Now, he's talking about planting the word in your life. But when it really comes down to it, I'm the responsible party for my own life, what I'm planting today. If I don't like where I'm at or... You know, if I have enough wisdom 
or read the Bible, and the Bible said, don't do this because this will happen, then I have to realize if I'm carrying out those actions, they are really seeds, whether I like it or not. You with me? I mean, if there's a farmer out there and he keeps planting watermelon seeds day after day, week after week, and what if he really gets diligent and just, and here's the thing, he's seen no harvest yet. He has to endure and he has to plant when it's not the right time. He has to water and protect and he's just planting and planting. Should he get frustrated if all of a sudden he gets a ton of watermelons? Oh, I'd be bent out of shape if I was him. I'd go down to the seed store and say, you know, I just want to talk to you about something. I just keep getting watermelons. Year after year. And he's like, well, what are you planting? Well, watermelon seeds. But I'm expecting something different. You with me? But I do know this. There are people who've been planting the right thing. Not just financially, but I mean all different kinds of areas. And... I heard this term years ago for people. Payday does not always come on Friday in Christ, but it always comes. You know, because a lot of people, if they didn't get the right paycheck today, they'd say, well, that's it, I quit. But with God, he doesn't always divvy up on Friday, but he always divvies up. He always does. He's the best bookkeeper there is. He doesn't forget stuff, and he's like, oh, I owed you. I forgot about that. We'll get back to you next month. No, when the time comes, and if you've been sowing and faithful, you'll reap. And we can reap in degrees, and we can reap and have good things. And I believe the Lord's saying that to us. And he wants us to know. I know this. We've been faithful as a church doing things and, and moving forward with God, and God's been working. We see all kinds of people healed and good stuff happen. But we're just going to keep enduring. You know, anybody who's going to do anything in life is going to have to endure. If you're a business owner, you've had to endure. You might have reaped the benefit of being a business owner, but you've got to endure some stuff. You know, if you're an employee, you've got to endure some stuff. If you're going to have a garden, you're going to have to endure some stuff. You're going to have to go out in our hot summer and water and plant and pull weeds. Right? And so... You know, what's fascinating to me is a lot of times when you see people who have been successful, you ask them, what did I do to be successful? You know, I don't know if anybody knows who John Osteen is, Joel's dad. Most people know who Joel is, but John's dad was a pastor, and he had a church of about 100 and something for like 12 years, and it seemed like nothing happened. Just kept on, kept on, and... Uh, all of a sudden, there came an explosion, and it just started marching 100, 200, 300, 500, 600,000, 2,000, 3,000. And it just seemed like for 12 years, it just didn't do much. But he was planting seeds, and he was being faithful. And you know what's interesting? Man, if it gets you down when you're down, it'll get you up when you're up. You've got to be careful. In other words, what do I mean? If it gets you depressed when you're not there yet, you got to be careful because once you get there, you'll get in pride. So it's good to manage your emotions before you get there so you don't freak out when you get there and your emotions get all out of sorts. You know what I mean? Because you'll have marvelous opportunities. Now we'll see how that guy treats me. Now I'm his boss. 
You know what I mean? We don't want that. But it's interesting. God said in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, but then into verse 10, it said, He will multiply the seed you sow. And many times in the Bible, the seed we are sowing are the actions we're taking. There's many people who have dreams, and they've been doing what seemingly seems right in that dream, but they've never come to the full fruit of the dream. Let me put it this way. I'm not talking your own dream only, but I'm talking a God thing. And if God ever gives you a thing, and you're doing what it takes, it has to come to pass, or he's a liar. And we're all in trouble then. But he's not a liar. He's dependable. I remember I was five years old and the Lord called me into the ministry. He called me long before that. It's when I first knew about it. And I stood in a church and he spoke to me about it and spoke specific things I still haven't seen yet. But they have to come to pass. If I do what I know is right, they have to come to pass. And the same thing's true with anybody. And, you know, most of us know, you know, the song about that he who goes forth weeping, bearing seeds. We used to sing it in the Baptist church when I was a little kid. Will doubtless come again, bringing in his sheaves. But it, if you go read, it talks about the person who's just regularly sticking with it, doing good, doing what they're supposed to. He calls those seeds. He said, there is no doubt that at some point you will bring in, now we don't read or and use the term sheave, but it literally means just a big bundle of harvest. That if a person doesn't, he said, going forth weeping. Now, it's not probably out of excitement. You're seeing no harvest. You have to go out. You've got to plant. You've got to water. You've got to do this. You've got to stay with it. I think just staying with it can be watering. It looks like what's going on, eventually it will pay. It has to. It has to, and it has to pay in a way that is beyond your ability to create it. It has to be, because it has to be something that God's doing, because if you read all these different ones, it says, but God gives the increase. If you could do it, it would happen. If you're not having the increase you want, don't worry. You might be getting some return, but the way God will do it, it'll work. It'll get good. He'll get his hands in there. You just stay with doing right, and things will pay off in a God way. But then when you start getting the payoff, you've got to not forget him and say, well, this was my hard work that did this. Turn with me to Luke 16, and we'll look at maybe one or two more scriptures, but Luke 16 is a real interesting verse about how people, that if they'll stay with the doing of what is right, it will benefit them later. And I'm not just talking benefit later in heaven. What is a dream? What is something that God is giving you? What would you call that? You know, people, oh, a dream is a dream. It's a vision of the future. You know, but I would say this, anything that is a dream from God, its origins are from heaven. Would you agree? Because that's where God is. And so if its origins are from heaven, then it's a heavenly or a spiritual thing, wouldn't you say? It would be, I mean, I guess you could say this, though it's a heavenly thing, wouldn't it be the ultimate thing? 
wouldn't it, for it to come to pass, the thing he's given you? God wants to give us, and he does it. He'll start with a sign when you first start serving him. It can be like this. It will be like this. And, uh, you know, just like I've said before, if you go hiking or riding a bike, there's like what they call trailheads and there's a sign. You're here and it'll have a map. And the turns, the left turns and the right turns on the trails are not glamorous. They're not as glamorous as the big sign. They're just mundane. What little stack of rocks here, turn right. Little stack of rocks there, turn right. Oh, there's a branch. We go up to Superstition Peak, and we've been up there before, and, and it's, you know, the highest peak in the Superstitions. And there's this one area, and the trail we hike is very not used. Never seen anybody on it. One time I did when I was up there by myself. Don't give me a lecture after service. Thank you. And um, so I was coming down, and it was getting to be night, and there were three guys from Colorado going up. And they asked me, well, how do you get up there? I thought if I had candy bars or something, I'd give them all I could to help. I even thought, should I go back and give them some? I thought they could get lost up here. So what we did one time when we were going up there a few miles in or a couple miles up above this part, maybe three miles up going in, is there were those Joshua trees, those big things that pop up. They were broken down. I grabbed them and moved them over to this ledge because when you go up and you come back down, it looks totally different. So I laid them there just to mark the trail. They're not real eventful. If somebody goes up there, they go, what are these? Well, just stay on the edge of them. They're just uneventful. And many of the corrections, the directions, the pushing, the, the, the I'm going to do this, I'm going to stay with it, are not super eventful. But I have been places hiking that 99.9% .9 of the people have never been. And we can go somewhere where lots of people don't always go, but when you get there, whoa. And they're, they're not huge. That's what you need to remember is, and, and I heard this, I think, I think I know the minister, but I'm not sure. He said the little opportunities of obedience are the little hinges that the big door swings on. And when we take those little opportunities, it can swing open a door in our lives. And so what is it? I know this for a fact. God has dealt with us and dealt with us, and we are entering into something that we'll see and we'll all know as a church. But I do know this. This is for individuals, too, for your own life that have endured, who have pushed, who have done. Uh, there's a time of reaping, and it's not only in heaven, and it's not bad. There's just something good. You know, whether you recognize it or not, I know it to be true. And so I always say, prove it. Just watch. Keep on doing and watch. But notice this in Luke 16. And we'll read these two verses here. And it says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. That doesn't say if you're unjust, you don't get much. And it doesn't say if you're just, you will eventually get much. Does it? No. He just said the way you are when you're small is the way you're going to be when you're big. In other words, stuff that's there is going to start popping out. 
And that's why God proves us with things, because he wants to make sure when he gives it to you, you don't blow your finger off with it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't. If you have a child, even if you don't have a child, if you thought about having a child, maybe you never thought of having a child, just act like you have one right now. So you got a 12-year-old kid, and you watch their life, and then they're 13 and 14, 15, they turn 16. Is it automatic that you're going to give them the keys of the car? No. But is there something you could do that you'd give them the keys of the car? No, it's more, what are they doing so I can give them the keys of the car? Right? I would think every parent would like to give their keys at least to some of their cars, to their kids. Now, people are like, oh, no, I would not. No, meaning if they qualified. You know what I mean? You watched their life. You saw how they acted. You saw it would be your pleasure to give the keys to the kid, wouldn't it? Because you knew that when you're not around, they're going to manage that thing right because before they got there, they were just, they were faithful. They did it right. And so now we're over here and they've grown and we know because of how they were before, they're going to be this way here. Well, if I'm a kid, then I can't get mad at my parents because they've been watching me be crazy. Okay, well, here's the car. Just You're a bad dad. You're a bad mom. I was a youth pastor for years, and you ever hear kids say that? You're a bad mom. You're mean. No, maybe you just didn't do what you should have done to deserve to get this. Because a parent would, I would think, if they're totally trustworthy and you know you're going to get it back the way it was given you would be more willing to give. And God is a good God. And, uh, but he's also intelligent. But he has also set in motion and said, I will get good things to you. And notice this. He's not saying if you do bad, you won't get more. All he's saying right there is the way you are at this place is the way you will be at this place. Now, if you want to get to that place, let's look at the next verse. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What are the true riches? I think they vary. Some are the same and some vary for individuals. What are the true riches? If, if it's a dream and a vision from God, God will help make that come to pass. That's a true riches of heaven. That's getting heaven's design into the earth. That's making the expansion of it, which you couldn't do on your own, happen from God. He'll give you those true riches, but he said, first, I just need you to be faithful with the unrighteous mammon, and if you can do that, then I can trust you with the true riches. What's he saying? Well, and 
he's saying literally the unrighteous man and means if you can't be natural with what you do with God with your money, then he won't trust you with the true riches. Now, we know if we sow financially, we reap financially, but it's also connected to another area. But I believe it's more than just being faithful with finances because he didn't just say in Galatians, if you're faithful in finances. He was talking about planting with your life. He said, when you do that, it's actually developing character. But not only is it developing something, it's putting you in a position where God can entrust true riches to you. True riches. What are true riches? Somebody said, well, I just need dollars. That's all I'm good. I believe he can get that to you because the Bible said. But there are true riches. I don't know about you, but these true riches that are in heaven, the earth needs desperately. They do. They don't need another old church to play games. You know what I mean? And I'm grateful for churches. We're one of them. We're part of the body. But God wants to get some true riches. I mean, we could drive by churches and go, they're rich, they're poor, or they, they look rich, or they look poor. But does it mean they have true riches? How do you get those true riches? How do you get a prosperous church with also true riches? If there are true riches, there are false riches. You with me? And the only way you can do it is being faithful before with something. Isn't that interesting? But the whole thought being this is I know we have come into a place of multiplication, of increasing in riches. Not, and I'm not trying to say financially, but I believe that is just a piece of the pie. But I mean the whole of God working to enrich us as individuals. You know, because people can be enriched, the Bible said, in utterance and different things and knowledge. But there's all different ways people can be enriched. I don't know about you, but I'm not just aiming for natural enrichment. But I'm for that. But I want the true riches too. You know what I mean? Uh, back in the Old Testament, they had built a temple to the Lord, and it had been years since they had one, and all the young people were shouting for what was going on. They're like, woo-hoo-hoo, woo-hoo-hoo, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. And the older generation that had been around was weeping. But didn't they build something? And then they talked to them, and they realized that, that it was different before, that they were not really getting the full true riches. They were missing it. They had brass instead of gold, and there was substituted stuff, and they were remembering how, whoa, this is how it used to be. I don't want brass. I want the real, and I know God has put us on a course, and I know this, God warns people. He can, he's warned me not to go into stores. There's numerous times, and I believe God's just this way. I've gone in, like, to Walmart to buy something. I saw it there a week before. I went to walk into Walmart. I went to go in, 
that I'm going to go buy this thing. And as I went to park my car on the inside, I knew they don't have that. And I was like, Lord, they just had it. I saw it last week. It was there. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to leave. I said, Lord, I'm going to prove this. So I went inside and went to where it was, and I couldn't find it. And so then I uh, asked the people, and they're like, we've got that. It's over here. So now I've got like a little parade going, you know, of two or three employees. We go, and they said, it was right here. Oh, it must be moved. Let's get more people. I said, we really don't need to. Now they're totally determined that they've got it, and they're going to show me where it is. And they said, no, no, we'll get some more people. We know. And they call somebody, and they came over, and uh, I'm like, you know, I know you don't have it. And they're, no, 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 we do. And I was like, I was trying to prove this. Now I'm thinking, I'm really wasting time. And uh, I go over here, and I think we got a few people now, and then one of the, and then, then a manager comes by, and they're like, oh, we got rid of that. We sold it out. We did this discount thing two days ago. It's been gone. And I mean, I've had things like that happen numerous times. I mean, I remember one time I was driving to work, I mean, numerous times, like where God's dealt with me to go to a place or not go to a place of business for certain reasons. I remember one time I went by this restaurant. I kept going by it, and there's all these construction trucks. I'm about to give you a tip, okay? If there's construction trucks in front of a breakfast place really, really early in the morning, you need to go there. It's good. Okay? Just being honest. So I drove by and I was like, because I know those are all foremen. They get their guys going. They're back here eating. So I thought, one day I'm going to get all my guys. We were doing the La Mirada Civic Center. I thought, I'm going to get these guys going, and I'm going to book it back over here. And then I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll just tell them, line them up and say, do this, I'll be late. So I, the next morning, I drive up to go in there, and the Lord deals with me, don't go in there. And I'm like, Lord, I've been wanting to go here. And he's all, don't go in there. And I felt like, whoa, this won't be good. And so I went, all right, I won't go. And I said, Lord, I said, you know, you've dealt with me at various times about things. And uh, sometimes I know the outcome, sometimes I don't. I said, would it be safe for me to go in there and just know what it is? And I just had an ease inside, and I sensed, and I went, okay, I'm going to go in. So I drove in. I drove up, got in there, place jam-packed, sit down. A couple sat down right before me in the next booth. They ordered, then I ordered. And it's 5, 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes, it's 15 minutes, it's 20 minutes, and it's 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, 40 minutes passes and time's flying and I'm not having fun. I'm thinking, okay, Lord. And uh, the, the waitress comes over and I hear her talking, but I can't exactly hear. And she's like, oh, 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 oh. you know, and they got up and left. And I thought, oh, they, they, I wonder what's going on. So she came over to me and she said, I'm sorry. She said, uh, we only have one cook. We have a different people who serve. Nobody else knows how to cook. And this cook threw a temper tantrum and left. We can't make your food. She said, um, we'll, we'll just let you have your orange. So I said, no, I'll pay for it. I know. I knew better. She didn't know what I knew better. But I'm saying, if God's big enough to tell you something small, doesn't the big count too? So doesn't the big count too? And if it's real there, it's got to be real in other places, and I know that's where we're at. That's why I named it a new day. A new day. Because what he's doing in your life, my life, but the church too. 